Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 16, Book the 16th of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 16, Book the 16th. Argument. Patroclus at length obtains permission from Achilles and enters the fight on condition that he should return after liberating the Greeks from their immediate peril. He comes opportunely to the assistance of Ajax, routs the Trojans, and kills Sarpedon, whose body, but without the armor, is rescued by Hector and Glaucus. Forgetful of his promise to Achilles, Patroclus pursues the Trojans to their very walls. He is driven back by Apollo, but slays the charioteer of Hector, Cebrionus. He is suddenly afflicted with stupor by Apollo, and dies by the hand of Hector, whose death he foretells. Hector pursues Automedon with the chariot of Achilles towards the ships. Thus, then, they were fighting for the well-benched ship. But Patroclus stood beside Achilles, the shepherd of the people, shedding warm tears, as a black-water fountain which pours its sable tide down from a lofty rock. But swift-footed noble Achilles, seeing, pitied him, and addressed him, spoke winged words. Why weepest thou, O Patroclus, as an infant girl, who, running along with her mother, importunes to be taken up, catching her by the robe, and detains her hastening, and weeping looks at her mother till she is taken up? Like unto her, O Patroclus, dost thou shed the tender tear? Dost thou bear any tidings to the Myrmidons, or to me myself? O hast thou alone heard any news from Pythia? They say that, indeed, Menoetius, the son of Actor, still lives, and that Peleus, the son of Achis, lives amongst the Myrmidons, for deeply should we lament for either of them dying. Or dost thou mourn for the Greeks, because they thus perish at their hollow ships, on account of their injustice? Speak out, nor conceal it in thy mind, that we both may know. But deeply sighing, O knight Patroclus, him thou didst address, O Achilles, son of Peleus, by far the bravest of the Greeks, be not indignant, since a grief so heavy does oppress the Greeks, for now all they, as many as were formerly most valiant, lie in the ships, wounded or stricken. Brave Diomede, indeed, the son of Tydeus, is wounded, and spear-renowned Ulysses is stricken, as also Agamemnon, and Eurypylus is also wounded in the thigh with an arrow. About these, indeed, physicians skilled in many remedies are employed, healing their wounds. But thou, O Achilles, art inexorable." Never may such anger seize me, at least, as thee, O cruelly brave, dost preserve. What other afterborn man will be defended by thee, if thou wilt not avert unworthy ruin from the Greeks, merciless one? Certainly the knight Peleus was not thy father, nor Thetis thy mother, but the grey ocean produced thee, and the lofty rocks, for thy mind is cruel. But if thou wouldst avoid any oracle in thy mind, and thy venerable mother has told any to thee from Jove, at least send me quickly, and at the same time give me the rest of the army of the Myrmidons, if perchance I may become any aid to the Greeks. Grant me also to be armed on my shoulders with thy armor, if perchance the Trojans, likening me to thee, may cease from battle, and the warlike sons of the Greeks now fatigued breathe again, and there be a short respite from war." but we who are fresh can easily repulse men worn out with battle from our ships and tents towards the city thus he spoke supplicating very rash for assuredly he was about to supplicate for himself evil death and fate whom deeply sighing 
swift-footed achilles addressed alas most noble patroclus what hast thou said i neither regard any oracle which i have heard nor has my venerable mother told anything to me from jove but this bitter grief comes upon my heart when a man who excels in power wishes to deprive his equal of his portion and to take back his reward because he excels in power this to me is a bitter grief since i have suffered sorrows in my mind the maid whom the sons of the greeks selected as a reward for me and whom i won by my spear having sacked a well-fortified city her has king agamemnon son of atreus taken back out of my hands as from some dishonoured alien but we shall allow these things to be among the things that were nor is it right indeed to be continually enraged in one's mind certainly i affirm that i would not put a stop to my wrath before that clamour and war should reach my ships but do thou put on thy shoulders my famous armour and lead on the war-loving myrmidons to battle since now a black cloud of trojans hath strongly surrounded the ships and the greeks are hemmed in by the shore of the sea possessing now but a small portion of land and the whole city of the trojans has rushed on confident because they behold not the front of my helmet gleaming near certainly quickly flying would they have filled the trenches with their bodies if king agamemnon had known mildness to me but now they are fighting around the army for the spear does not rage in the hands of diomede the son of tydeus to avert destruction from the greeks nor do i at all hear the voice of agamemnon shouting from his odious head but the voice of manslaughtering hector animating the trojans resounds while they with a shout possess the whole plain conquering the greeks in battle yet even thus patroclus do thou fall on them bravely warding off destruction from the ships nor let them consume the vessels with blazing fire and cut off thy own return but obey as i shall lay the sum of my advice in thy mind in order that thou mayest obtain for me great honour and glory from all the greeks and they may send back to me the beautiful maid and afford me besides rich presents having repulsed the enemy from the ships return back and if indeed the loud thundering husband of juno permit thee to obtain glory do not be desirous of fighting with the warlike trojans apart from me for thou wouldst render me more dishonoured nor exulting in the battle and havoc lead on as far as ilium slaughtering the trojans lest some of the immortal gods come down from olympus against thee for far-darting apollo greatly loves them but return after thou hast given safety to the ships and allow the others to contend through the plain for would that o father jove minerva and apollo not one of the trojans as many as there are may escape death nor any of the greeks whilst to us too it may be granted to avoid destruction that we alone might overthrow the sacred bulwarks of troy thus they indeed discussed these matters with each other but ajax no longer remained firm for he was pressed hard with weapons because the counsel of jove overpowered him and the fierce trojans hurling and a dreadful clang did his glittering helmet round his temples emit being struck and he was constantly smitten upon the well-made studs of his casque he was fatigued in the left shoulder by always firmly holding his movable shield nor could they pressing him all around with their weapons drive him from his place unceasingly afflicted was he with severe panting and everywhere from his limbs poured copious perspiration nor was he able to respire for everywhere evil was heaped upon evil declare now to me ye muses possessing olympic habitations how first the fire fell upon the ships of the greeks hector standing near struck the ashen spear of ajax with his great sword at the socket of the blade behind and cut it quite off telamonian ajax indeed vainly brandished the mutilated spear in his hand but the brazen blade rang falling upon the earth at a distance from him then ajax knew in his blameless soul and shuddered at the deeds of the gods because the lofty thundering jove cut off his plans of war and willed the victory to the trojans 
wherefore he retired out of the reach of the weapons and they hurled the indefatigable fire at the swift ships the inextinguishable flame of which was immediately diffused around thus indeed the flame surrounded the stern but achilles smiting his sighs addressed patroclus haste o most noble steed directing patroclus i perceive indeed the fury of the hostile fire at the ships lest they now take the vessels and there be not an opportunity of flying put on my armour very quickly and i shall assemble the forces thus he spoke but patroclus armed himself in glittering brass first indeed he put the beautiful greaves around his legs fitted with clasps next he placed the corslet of the swift-footed descendant of achis upon his breast variegated and studded with stars and suspended from his shoulders his silver-studded sword brazen and then the great and sturdy shield but upon his gallant head he placed a well-made helmet crested with horsehair and dreadfully the plume nodded from above he took besides two strong spears which well fitted his hands but the spear alone of blameless achates ponderous large and strong he did not take which indeed no other of the greeks could brandish but achilles alone knew how to wield it a pelian ash which chiron had given to his sire cut from the tops of pelion about to be death to heroes he also commanded automedon quickly to yoke the steeds whom next to rank-breaking achilles he most honoured because he was most faithful to him in battle to stand the charge wherefore automedon yoked the fleet horses xanthus and balius which kept pace with the winds them the harpy podarge bore to zephyrus the wind while feeding in the meadows by the stream of oceanus and in the outer harness he fastened illustrious pedasus whom achilles led away long since having sacked the city of Aetion, and which steed though being mortal accompanied immortal steeds but achilles going about armed all the myrmidons through the tents with their armour but they like carnivorous wolves in whose hearts is immense strength and which having slain a great horned stag in the mountains tearing devour it but the jaws of all are red with blood and then they rush in a pack lapping with slender tongues the surface of the dark water from a black water fountain vomiting forth clots of blood but the courage in their breasts is dauntless and their stomach is distended so rushed the leaders and chiefs of the myrmidons around the brave attendant of swift-footed achides and amongst them stood warlike achilles animating both the steeds and the shield-bearing warriors fifty were the swift galleys which achilles dear to jove led to troy and in each were fifty men companions at the benches but he had appointed five leaders in whom he put trust to command them and he himself being very powerful governed one troop indeed menestheus with flexible corslet commanded the son of spercius a jove descended river whom the daughter of peleus fair polydora bore to indefatigable spercius a woman having been embraced by a god although according to report to boris son of periarus who openly espoused her giving infinite marriage gifts but warlike eudorus commanded another company clandestinely begotten whom polymela the daughter of phylus graceful in the dance bore her the powerful slayer of argus loved beholding her with his eyes among the dancers at a choir of golden bow diana huntress maid and immediately ascending to an upper changer pacific mercury secretly lay with her when she bore to him a son eudorus swift to run and also a warrior but after that birth presiding elithia had brought him into light and he beheld the splendour of the sun the mighty strength of echecleus son of actor led her to his house where he had given innumerable marriage gifts whilst aged phylus carefully nurtured and educated him tenderly loving him as if being his own son the third warlike pisander led the son of maimelus who after the companion of the son of peleus surpassed all the myrmidons in fighting with the spear 
the fourth the aged knight phoenix commanded and alcimedon the illustrious son of lercius the fifth but when achilles marshalling them well had placed all with their leaders he enjoined this strict command ye myrmidons let none of you be forgetful of the threats with which at the swift ships ye did threaten the trojans during all my indignation and blamed me each of you in this manner o cruel son of peleus surely thy mother nurtured thee in wrath relentless thou who at the ships detainest thy companions against their will let us at least return home again in our sea-traversing barks since pernicious wrath hath thus fallen upon thy mind these things ye frequently said to me when assembled and now the great task of war appears of which ye were hitherto desirous let each one here having a valiant heart fight against the trojans thus speaking he aroused the might and spirit of each and their ranks were condensed the more when they heard the king as when a man constructs the wall of a lofty mansion with closely joined stones guarding against the violence of the winds so closely were their helmets and bossed shields linked then shield pressed upon shield helmet upon helmet and man upon man and their horsehair crests upon the shining cones of their helmets nodding touched each other so close they stood to each other before all were armed two warriors patroclus and automedon having one mind to fight in the front of the myrmidons but achilles hastened to go into his tent and he opened the lid of a chest beautiful variously adorned which silver-footed thetis placed to be carried in his ship having filled it well with garments and wind-resisting cloaks and napped tapestry and in it was a cup curiously wrought nor did any other of men drink dark wine from it nor did he pour out from it libations to any of the gods except a father jove this then taking from the coffer he first purified with sulphur and then washed in a crystal rivulet of water but he himself washed his hands and drew off the dark wine next standing in the middle of the area he prayed and offered a libation of wine looking up to heaven nor did he escape the notice of thunder rejoicing jove o king jove dodonian Pelasgian, dwelling afar off presiding over wintry dodona but around dwell thy priests the selli with unwashed feet and sleeping upon the ground certainly thou didst formerly hear my voice when praying thou hast honoured me and hast greatly injured the people of the greeks wherefore now also accomplish this additional request for me for i myself will remain in the assemblage of ships but i am sending forth my companion with the numerous myrmidons to battle along with him do thou send forth glory o far-sounding jove embolden his heart within his breast that even hector may know whether my attendant even when alone knows how to wage war or only when these invincible hands rage with him when i likewise go forth to the slaughter of mars but after he has repelled the contest and the tumult from the ships unscathed let him return to me to the swift barks with all his armour and his close-fighting companions thus he spoke praying and provident jove heard him one part indeed the sire granted him but refused the other he granted that he should repel the conflict and tumult from the ships but he refused that he should return safe from the battle he on his part having made a libation and prayed to father jove again entered his tent and replaced the cup in the chest then coming out he stood before the tent for he still wished in his mind to behold the grievous conflict of trojans and greeks but those that were armed at the same time with magnanimous patroclus marched orderly till they rushed upon the trojans with high hopes immediately they were poured out like unto wasps dwelling by the roadside which silly boys are wont to irritate incessantly harassing them possessing cells by the wayside and cause a common evil to many and if by chance any traveller passing by unintentionally disturbed them then they possessing a valiant heart all fly forth and fight for their young 
The Myrmidons then, having the heart and courage of these, poured out from the ships, and an inextinguishable tumult arose. But Patroclus cheered on his companions, loudly shouting, Ye Myrmidons, companions of Achilles, the son of Peleus, be men, my friends, and be mindful of impetuous valour, that we, his close-fighting servants, may honour the son of Peleus, who is by far the bravest of the Greeks at the ships, and that the son of Atreus, wide-ruling Agamemnon, may know his fault, that he nothing honoured the bravest of the Greeks. Thus speaking, he aroused the might and spirits of each, and in dense array they fell upon the Trojans, but the ships re-echoed dreadfully round from the Greeks shouting. But the Trojans, when they beheld the brave son of Menoetius, himself and his attendant glittering in arms, the mind to all of them was disturbed, and the phalanxes were deranged, deeming that the swift-footed son of Peleus of the ships had cast away his wrath, and resumed friendship. Then each one gazed about where he might escape utter destruction. But Patroclus first took aim with his shining spear from the opposite side right into the midst, where they were huddled together in greatest numbers at the stern of the ship of magnanimous Protestileus, and wounded Pyriacmus, who led the Paeonian equestrian warriors from Amadon, from the wide-flowing Axius. Him he smote upon the right shoulder, and he fell on his back in the dust groaning. But the Paeonians, his companions, were put to flight around him, for Patroclus caused fear to them all, having slain their leader, who was very brave to fight and he drove them from the ships and extinguished the blazing fire but the ship was left there half burnt whilst the trojans were routed with a prodigious tumult and the greeks were poured forth amongst the hollow ships and mighty confusion was created and as when from the lofty summit of a great mountain lightning driving jove dislodges a dense cloud and all the eminences and highest ridges and glens appear whilst the boundless ether is burst open throughout the heaven so the greeks respired for a little having repelled the hostile fire from their vessels but of battle there was no cessation for the trojans were by no means yet totally routed from the black ships by the warlike greeks but still resisted and retreated from the ships from necessity then of the generals man slew man the fight being scattered and first the brave son of menoetius forthwith with his sharp spear smote the thigh of very locus when turned about and drove the brass quite through but the spear broke the bone and he fell prone upon the earth but more like Menelaus then wounded Thoas in the breast, exposing near the shield, and relaxed his limbs. But Phylides, perceiving Ampiclus rushing against him, anticipated him, taking aim at the extremity of his leg, where the calf of a man is thickest. The tendons were severed all round by the point of the spear, and darkness overshadowed his eyes. Then the sons of Nestor, the one Antilochus, struck Atimnius with his sharp spear, and drove the brazen lance through his flank, and he fell before him, but Maris, standing before the carcass, rushed upon Antilochus hand to hand with his spear, enraged on account of his brother. But godlike Thrasymedes, taking aim, anticipated him before he had wounded Antilochus, nor did he miss him, but wounded him immediately near the shoulder, and the point of the spear cut off the extremity of the arm from the muscles, and completely tore away the bone. Falling he made a crash, and darkness veiled his eyes. Thus to Erebus went these two, subdued by two brothers, the brave companions of Sarpedon, the spear-renowned sons of Amisodarus, who nourished the invincible Chimera, a destruction to many men. But Ajax, the son of Oileus, rushed upon Cleobulus, took him alive, impeded in the crowd, and there relaxed his strength, striking him upon the neck with his hilted sword. And the whole sword was warmed over with blood, and purple death and stern fate possessed his eyes. Then Peneleus and Lycon engaged in close combat, for they had missed each other with their spears, and both had hurled in vain. Therefore they ran on again with their swords. 
Then Lycon, on his part, struck the cone of the horse-haired crested helmet, and the sword was broken at the hilt. But Peneleus smote him in the neck below the ear, and the whole sword entered, and the skin alone retained it. The head hung down, and his limbs were relaxed. Arionus also overtaking him with rapid feet, wounded Achimus in the right shoulder, as he was about to ascend his chariot, and he fell from his chariot, and darkness was poured over his eyes. But Idomeneus struck Aramis in the mouth with the pitiless brass, and the brazen weapon passed right through from the opposite side down under the brain, and then cleft the white bones, and his teeth were dashed out, and both eyes were filled with gore, which gaping he forced out from his mouth and from his nostrils, and the black cloud of death enveloped him. Thus these leaders of the Greeks slew each a man, and as destructive wolves impetuously rush on lambs or kids, snatching them from the flocks, which are dispersed upon the mountains by the negligence of the shepherd, but they, perceiving them, immediately tear in pieces, them having an unwarlike heart. So did the Greeks rush upon the Trojans, but they were mindful of dire-sounding flight, and forgot resolute valor. But mighty Ajax ever longed to aim his javelin at brazen-armed Hector, but he from his skill in war, covering himself as to his broad shoulders with a bull's hide shield, watched the hissing of the arrows and the whizzing of the javelins. Already, indeed, he knew the victory of battle was inclining to the other side, yet even thus he remained and saved his beloved companions. And as when from Olympus comes a cloud into heaven, after a clear sky, when Jove stretches forth a whirlwind, thus was the clamor and rout of those flying from the ships, nor did they repass the trench in seemly plight, but his fleet-footed steeds bore away Hector with his arms, and he deserted the Trojan people, whom against their will the deep trench detained, and many fleet car-drawing steeds left in the fosse the chariots of their masters, broken at the extremity of the pole. But Patroclus pursued, vehemently cheering on the Greeks, and devising destruction for the Trojans. But they, with clamor and rout, filled all the ways after they were dispersed, a storm of dust was tossed up beneath the clouds, and the solid-hooved horses pressed back towards the city, from the ships and tents. But Patroclus, wherever he perceived the army in greatest confusion, thither directed his steeds, exclaiming in a threatening manner, whilst beneath his axles men fell prone from their chariots, and the chariots were overturned. Then from the opposite side the fleet immortal steeds, which the gods had given as splendid presents to Peleus, eagerly pressing on, bounded quite across the trench, for his mind urged him against Hector, for he longed to strike him, but his swift horses kept bearing him away. And as beneath a whirlwind the whole dark earth is oppressed on an autumnal day, when Jove pours forth his most violent stream, when forsooth, enraged, he gives vent to his wrath against men, who by violence decree perverse judgments in the assembly, and drive out justice, not regarding the vengeance of the gods and all their rivers are flooded as they flow and the torrents sever asunder many mountains and flowing headlong into the dark sea roar mightily and husbandry works of men are diminished so loudly moan the trojan mares running along but patroclus when he had cut off the first phalanxes drove them back again towards the ships and did not permit them desiring it to ascend towards the city but pressing on he slew them between the ships and the river and the lofty wall and he exacted revenge for many. Then indeed he smote with his shining spear Pronus first, bared as to his breast beside the shield, and relaxed his limbs, and falling he gave a crash. But next attacking Thestor, son of Enops, who indeed sat huddled in his well-polished chariot, for he was panic-struck in his mind, and the reins had then dropped from his hands, he standing near smote him with his spear on the right cheek, and drove it through his teeth. Then catching the spear he dragged him over the rim of the chariot, 
as when a man sitting upon a jutting rock draws with a line and shining brass a large fish entirely out of the sea so he dragged from his chariot with his shining spear him gaping then he hurled him upon his mouth and life left him as he fell then next he struck with the stone on the middle of the head Ariales rushing against him and it was totally split asunder into two parts in his strong helmet he therefore fell prone upon the earth and fatal death was diffused around him afterwards Ariamus and Amphoterus, epaltes and telepolemus son of damaster achaeus and pyrus Aichaeus, euippus and polymelus son of argius all one over the other he heaped upon the fertile earth but when sarpedon perceived his loose-girt companion subdued by the hands of patroclus the son of menoetius exhorting he shouted to the godlike lycians o shame lycians where do ye fly now be strenuous for i will oppose this man that i may know who he is who is victorious and certainly he has done many evils to the trojans since he has relaxed the limbs of many and brave men he spoke and leaped from his chariot with his armour to the ground but patroclus on the other side when he beheld him sprang from his car then they as bent taloned crook-beaked vultures loudly screaming fight upon the lofty rock so they shouting rushed against each other but the son of the wily saturn beholding them felt compassion and addressed juno his sister and wife o oh, woe is me because it is fated that sarpedon most dear to me of men shall be subdued by patroclus the son of menoetius but to me revolving it in my mind my heart is impelled with a twofold anxiety either that having snatched him alive from the mournful battle i may place him among the rich people of lycia or now subdue him beneath the hands of the son of menoetius then the large-eyed venerable juno answered most dread son of saturn what a word hast thou spoken whether dost thou wish to liberate from sad death a mortal man long since doomed to fate do so but all we the other gods will not assent to it but another thing i will tell thee and do thou revolve it in thy mind if indeed thou sendest this sarpedon safe home reflect whether some other of the gods may not also wish to send his beloved son safe home from the violent conflict for many sons of immortals fight round the great city of priam upon whom thou wilt bring heavy wrath if however he be dear to thee and thy heart pities him let him indeed be subdued in the violent conflict beneath the hands of patroclus the son of menoetius but when his spirit and life shall have left him send death and sweet sleep to bear him until they reach the people of expansive lycia there will his brethren and friends perform his obsequies with a tomb and a pillar for this is the honour of the dead thus she spoke nor did the father of gods and men disobey but he poured down upon the earth bloody dewdrops honouring his beloved son whom patroclus was about to slay in fertile soiled troy far away from his native land but when advancing they were now near each other then indeed patroclus struck illustrious thrasymelus who was the brave companion of king sarpedon him he struck upon the lower part of the belly and relaxed his limbs then sarpedon attacking second missed him with his splendid javelin but he wounded his horse padasses with his spear in the right shoulder but he groaned breathing out his life and fell in the dust moaning and his spirit fled from him but the two other steeds leaped asunder and yoke crashed and the reins were tangled about them when the side horse lay in the dust but spear-renowned automedon found an end of this drawing his long sword from his robust thigh rising he cut away the farther horse nor did he act slothfully and the two remaining horses were set aright and were directed by the reins and the men again engage in life-devouring combat 
Then again Sarpedon missed him with his shining spear, and the point of the weapon passed over the left shoulder of Patroclus, nor did it wound him. But Patroclus rushed on with his javelin, and the weapon did not escape in vain from his hand, for he struck him where the midriff encloses a compact heart, as when falls some oak or poplar or lofty pine, which the workmen fell in the mountains with newly sharpened axes to be a naval timber. So he lay stretched out before his horses and chariot, gnashing with his teeth, grasping the bloody dust. As a lion slays a bull, coming among a herd, tawny, noble-spirited, among the stamping oxen, and he perishes, bellowing beneath the jaws of the lion, so the leader of the shielded Lycians was indignant, being slain by Patroclus, and addressed his dear companion by name. Glaucus, dear friend, warrior amongst heroes, now it greatly behooves thee to be a hero and a bold warrior. Now if thou art impetuous, let destructive battle be thy desire. First indeed, going in every direction, exhort the leaders of the Lycians to fight around Sarpedon, and do thou thyself also fight for me with thy spear, for I will hereafter be a cause of shame and disgrace to thee all thy days throughout, if indeed the Greeks despoil me of my armor, falling in the conflict at the ships. But persevere and animate all the army. Whilst he was thus speaking, the end of death covered him as to his eyes and nostrils. But Patroclus, trampling with his heel upon his breast, drew out the spear from his body, and the midriff followed with it, and he drew out at the same time his life and the point of the weapon. But the Myrmidons there held his panting steeds, eager to fly along, since they had quitted the chariot of their lords. Then bitter grief arose to Glaucus, hearing the voice of his friend, and his heart was grieved because he could not aid him. But grasping his own arm in his hand, he compressed it, for grievously the wound pained him, which Teucer with an arrow had inflicted upon him, as he was rushing against the lofty wall, warding off the battle from his companions. Wherefore praying, he addressed far-darting Apollo. Here, O king, thou who art somewhere in the rich state of Lycia, or in Troy, for thou canst everywhere hear a man afflicted, as sorrow now comes upon me. For I indeed have this grievous wound, and my hand is penetrated on every side with acute pains, nor can the blood be stanched. But my shoulder is oppressed with it, for neither can I firmly hold my spear, nor advancing fight with the enemy. Moreover, a very brave hero has fallen, Sarpedon, the son of Jove, but he aids not even his own son. But heal for me this severe wound, O king, assuage my pains, and grant me strength, that cheering on my companions, the Lycians, I may urge them to fight, and may myself fight for the dead body. Thus he spoke, praying, but Phoebus Apollo heard him. Immediately he allayed the pains, and dried the black gore from the grievous wound, and instilled strength into his soul. But Glaucus knew in his mind, and rejoiced, because the mighty god had quickly heard him praying, for then, going about in all directions, he aroused the heroes, leaders of the Lycians, to fight for Sarpedon. And then he went to the Trojans, advancing with long strides to Polydamus, son of Panthus, and noble Agenor. He also went after Aeneas, and brazen-armed Hector, and standing near, addressed to him winged words. O Hector, now hast thou altogether neglected thine allies, who are losing their lives for thy sake, far away from their friends and fatherland, but thou dost not wish to aid them. Sarpedon lies low, the leader of the shield-bearing Lycians, who protected Lycia by his justice and his valor. Him hath brazen Mars subdued with a spear at the hands of Patroclus. But stand near, my friends, and be indignant in your minds, lest the Myrmidon spoil his armor, and unworthily treat the body, enraged on account of the Greeks, as many as have perished, whom we have slain with our spears at the ships. 
thus he spoke but intolerable unyielding grief wholly possessed the trojans for he had been a pillar of their city though being a foreigner for many forces followed along with him among whom he himself was the most valiant in battle they therefore advanced eagerly straight against the greeks ardent with desire but hector led the way enraged on account of sarbadon but the valiant heart of patroclus son of menoetius aroused the greeks first he addressed the ajaces though they themselves were also eager o ajaces now let it be a delightful thing to you both to repel the foe be ye such as of old ye were amongst heroes or even braver sarbadon lies low the man who first broke through the wall of the greeks but oh that taking him we could treat him with indignity and spoil the armour from his shoulders and subdue with the cruel brass some one of his companions keeping us off from him thus he spoke but they also themselves were ready to repel the foe but when they had strengthened their phalanxes on both sides the trojans and lycians as well as the myrmidons and achaeans they closed to fight round the dead body shouting dreadfully and loudly rattled the arms of men but jove stretched pernicious night over the violent contest that there might be a destructive toil of battle around his dear son the trojans first drove back the rolling-eyed greeks for a man was smitten by no means the most inferior among the myrmidons noble epigeus son of magnanimous ajacles who formerly ruled in well-inhabited budium but then having slain a noble kinsman he came as a suppliant to peleus and silver-footed thetis they sent him to follow with the rank-breaker achilles to steed-renowned ilium that he might fight with the trojans him then while seizing the body illustrious hector struck upon the head with a stone and it was entirely split in two in his strong helmet and he fell prone upon the corpse and soul-destroying death was diffused around him then the patroclus grief arose on account of his companion slain and he rushed right through the foremost warriors like unto a swift hawk which has put to flight jackdaws or starlings so o equestrian patroclus didst thou rush right against the lycians and the trojans for thou wert enraged in thine heart for thy companion and he struck sathenelaus the beloved son of ithamenius on the neck with a stone and broke his tendons and the foremost warriors and illustrious hector gave back and as far as is a cast of a long javelin which a man may have sent forth striving either in the game or even in war on account of life-destroying enemies so far did the trojans retire and the greeks repelled them but glaucus the leader of the shield-bearing lycians first turned and slew magnanimous bathycles the beloved son of chalcon who inhabiting dwellings in hellas was conspicuous among the myrmidons for his riches and wealth him then glaucus turning suddenly round wounded in the middle of the breast with his spear when pursuing he had overtaken him but he made a crash as he fell and deep grief possessed the greeks because a brave warrior had thus fallen but the trojans greatly rejoiced and advancing in crowds stood round him nor were the greeks forgetful of valour but they directed their strength straight against them then again meriones slew a hero of the trojans the warrior laogonus the gallant son of oneter who was a priest of idaean jove and was honoured like a god by the people he smote him under the jaw and the ear and his soul immediately departed from his limbs and dreadful darkness overshadowed him but aeneas hurled a brazen spear at meriones for he hoped to hit him advancing under protection of his shield he however observing it in front avoided the brazen spear for he stooped forward and the long javelin was fixed in the ground behind him and the nether point of the spear was shaken then the rapid weapon spent its force thus a javelin of aeneas quivering entered the earth for it had fled in vain from his strong hand 
Then Aeneas was enraged in his mind, and said, Meriones, quickly indeed, although being a dancer, would my spear have made thee cease forever, if I had struck thee. But him then in turn spear-renowned Meriones answered, Aeneas, it were difficult for thee, although being brave, to extinguish the valour of all men, whosoever may come against thee about to repulse thee, for thou too art mortal. And if I, taking aim, should strike thee in the middle with my sharp spear, although being brave and confiding in thy might, thou wouldst give glory to me, but thy soul to steed-famed Pluto. Thus he spoke, but him the brave son of Menoetius rebuked, Meriones, why dost thou, although being brave, harangue thus? O my friend, the Trojans will not retire from the course by opprobrious words. First will the earth possess some of them, for the emergency of battle is placed in the hands, but of counsel in words, wherefore it is by no means necessary to multiply words, but to fight. So saying, he on his part led the way, and along with him the godlike hero followed. And as the crash of wood-cutting men arises in the dwells of a mountain, and the sound is heard from afar, so the noise of these, smitten with swords and two-edged spears, arose from the wide extended plain, from brass, from leather, and from well-prepared bull's-hide shields. Nor would a man, although very discerning, have recognized noble Sarpedon, since he was totally involved, from his head to the soles of his feet, with weapons and blood and dust, but they still crowded round the course, as when flies in the stall hum around the pails full of milk, during the spring season, when the milk makes moist the vessel. So they still crowded round the body, nor did Jove ever turn his bright eyes from the violent conflict, but he ever beheld them, and meditated many evil things in his mind concerning the death of Patroclus, anxiously deliberating whether now illustrious Hector should kill him with his spear in the brave battle, over godlike Sarbaton, and spoil the armour from his shoulders, or whether he should still increase the severe labour to the multitude. To him thus reflecting, it appeared better that the brave servant of Achilles, the son of Peleus, should repulse the Trojans and brazen-armed Hector towards the city, and take away the life of many. Into Hector, therefore, first of all, he sent on warlike flight, and ascending his chariot he turned himself to flight, and advised the other Trojans to fly, for he recognised the sacred scales of Jove. Then not even the brave Lycians remained, but were all turned in flight, when they beheld their king wounded to the heart, lying in the heap of the dead. For many had fallen over him, whilst the son of Saturn stretched on the violent strife. But after they had taken from the shoulders of Sarpedon the brazen and glittering armour, the gallant son of Menuetius gave them to his companions to carry to the hollow ships, and then cloud-compelling Jove addressed Apollo, Come now, dear Phoebus, going, cleanse Sarbadon, withdrawn from among the heaps of weapons of sable gore, and afterwards, bearing him far away, lave him in the stream of the river, and anoint him with ambrosia, and put around him immortal garments, then give him in charge to the twin brothers, sleep and death, swift conductors to be borne away, who will quickly place him in the rich state of wide Lycia. There will his brethren and kindred perform his obsequies with a tomb, and a pillar, for this is the honour of the dead. Thus he spoke, nor was Apollo inattentive to his father, but he descended from the Idaean mountains to the grievous conflict, immediately removing noble Sarpedon out of the reach of weapons, and bearing him far away, he laved him in the stream of the river, anointed him with ambrosia, and placed around him immortal garments, then gave him in charge to the twin brothers, sleep and death, swift conductors, to be borne away with them, who accordingly quickly placed him in the rich state of wide Lycia. In the meantime Patroclus, cheering on his steeds, and Automedon followed upon the Trojans and Lycians, and came to great harm, infatuate one. But if he had observed the direction of the son of Peleus, he had certainly escaped the evil fate of black death. 
but the counsel of jove is ever better than that of men who puts to flight even the valiant man and easily deprives him of victory even when he himself has impelled him to fight who then also excited courage in his breast then whom first and whom last didst thou slay o patroclus when the gods now called thee on to death adrastus indeed first autonus and achaeclus and perimus son of megis and epistor and menelippus but then elasus and mulius and pilertes these he slew but the others were each of them mindful of flight then indeed had the sons of the greeks taken lofty-gated troy by the hands of patroclus for he raged greatly beyond others with his spear had not phoebus apollo stood upon a well-built tower meditating destructive things to him and assisting the trojans thrice indeed patroclus mounted to a buttress of the lofty wall and thrice did apollo repel him with violence striking his glittering shield with his immortal hands but when now godlike he rushed on the fourth time far-casting apollo threatening fearfully addressed him retire thou jove-sprung patroclus by no means is it destined that the city of the magnanimous trojan should be destroyed by thy spear nor by achilles who is much better than thou thus he spoke but patroclus retired far back avoiding the wrath of far-darting apollo but hector detained his steeds at the scaean gates for he doubted whether having driven again into the crowd he should fight or should loudly command the people to be collected within the walls to him then meditating these things phoebus apollo stood near having assimilated himself to a hero youthful and brave to asius who was a maternal uncle of horse-breaking hector own brother of hecuba and the son of dymas who dwelt in phrygia by the streams of the sangarius to him phoebus apollo assimilating himself spoke hector why dost thou cease from battle nor does it at all become thee would that i were much superior to thee as i am inferior then indeed wouldst thou quickly have retired from the battle to thy loss but come direct thy solid hooved steeds against patroclus if perchance thou mayest slay him and apollo may give thee glory so saying the god on his part went again through the labour of men but illustrious hector on his part commanded warlike cebriones to lash on his steeds to the battle whilst apollo proceeding entered the throng and sent an evil tumult among the greeks but gave glory to the trojans and hector then indeed did hector neglect the other greeks nor slew them but directed his solid-hoofed steeds against patroclus but patroclus on the other side leaped from his chariot to the ground in his left hand holding his spear but in the other he seized a stone white rugged which his hand embraced around putting his force to it he hurled it nor did it err far from the man nor was the weapon hurled in vain for in the forehead with a sharp stone he smote the charioteer of hector cebriones the illegitimate son of illustrious priam whilst holding the reins of the horses but the stone crushed both his eyebrows nor did the bone sustain it and his eyes fell amid the dust upon the ground before his feet but he then like unto a diver fell from the well-formed chariot seat and life left his bones but him insulting thou didst address o equestrian patroclus o gods truly he is a very active man how nimbly he dives if indeed he were anywhere in the fishy sea this man groping for oysters might have satisfied many plunging from his ship although it might be stormy so easily now in the plain does he dive from his chariot without doubt there are divers among the trojans so saying he advanced against the hero cebriones having the force of a lion which ravaging the folds is wounded in the breast and his own courage destroys him thus o patroclus ardent didst thou spring upon cebriones whilst hector on the other side leaped from his chariot to the ground these two as lions fought for cebriones when both being hungry fight with utmost courage for a slaughtered stag and mountain tops 
So for Sabrionus, these two masters of the fight, Patroclus, son of Menoetius, and illustrious Hector, wished to rend each other's body with the pitiless brass. Hector, indeed, after he seized him by the head, did not let him go, but Patroclus on the other side held him by the foot, and now the rest of the Trojans and Greeks engaged in the violent conflict. And as the east and south winds strive with each other, in the dells of a mountain, to shake a deep wood, beech, ash, and rugged cornel, but they strike with their long extended boughs against each other with an immense sound, and the crash of them breaking arises. Thus the Trojans and Greeks, leaping upon each other, slaughtered, but neither were mindful of pernicious flight. And many sharp spears were fixed round Cebrionus, and winged arrows bounding from the string, and many huge stones smote the shields of those fighting round him. But he, mighty over mighty space, lay in a whirlwind of dust, forgetful of his equestrian skill. As long, indeed, as the sun was ascending the middle heaven, so long did the weapons reach both sides effectually, and the people kept falling. But when the sun had passed over towards the west, then, indeed, the Greeks were superior, contrary to fate. They drew the hero Cebrionus from the weapons out of the tumult of Trojans, and took the armor from his shoulders. But Patroclus, devising evils against the Trojans, rushed on. Thrice then he charged, equal to swift Mars, shouting horridly, and thrice he slew nine heroes. But when, like unto a god, he made the attack for the fourth time, then indeed, O Patroclus, was the end of thy life manifest. For Phoebus, terrible in a dire battle, met thee. He did not indeed perceive him coming through the crowd, for he advanced against him covered with much darkness. But he stood behind, and smote him with his flat hand upon the back and broad shoulders, and his eyes were seized with giddiness. And from his head Phoebus Apollo struck the helmet, and the oblong helmet rattled, rolling under the horse's feet and the crest was defiled with blood and dust, although before this it was not permitted that this helmet, crested with horsehair, should be contaminated by the dust, for it protected the head of a godlike hero, even the venerable forehead of Achilles. But Jove then gave it to Hector to wear upon his head, but his destruction was near. But the long-shadowed spear, great, sturdy, pointed with brass, was utterly shattered in his hands, whilst the shield, which reached to his heels with its belt, fell to the ground, and King Apollo, the son of Jove, unbound his corslet. But stupor seized his brain, and his fair limbs were relaxed under him, and he stood astounded. But a Trojan hero, Euphorbus, the son of Panthus, who excelled those of his own age in the spear, in horsemanship, and in swiftness of foot, smote him close at hand with his sharp spear, in the back between the shoulders. For even before this he had hurled twenty men from their horses, at first coming with his chariot, learning the art of war. He it was who first hurled a weapon at thee, O knight Patroclus, nor did he subdue thee, for he ran back and was mingled with the crowd, having plucked the ashen spear out of thy body, nor did he await Patroclus, though being unarmed in the fight. Patroclus, however, subdued by the blow of the god and by the spear, retired into the crowd of his companions, avoiding death. But Hector, when he perceived magnanimous Patroclus retiring, wounded with a sharp spear, went through the ranks near him, and smote him with his javelin in the lowest part of the groin, and drove the brass quite through. Falling, he gave a crash, and greatly grieved the people of the Greeks, as when a lion presses on an unwearied boar in fight, and they twain high-spirited contend upon the mountain-tops for a small rill, for they both desire to drink, but the lion subdues him by force, panting much. So Hector the son of Priam, in close fight with his spear, deprived the gallant son of Menoetius of life, having slain many, and boasting over him spoke winged words. Patroclus, doubtless thou didst think to waste our city, and to carry off in thy ships the Trojan women to thy dear fatherland, having taken away their day of freedom, infatuated one. 
but in defence of these the fleet steeds of hector hasten with their feet to war and i myself who avert the day of slavery from them am conspicuous amongst the war-loving trojans in the use of the spear but the vultures shall devour thee here unhappy man nor indeed did achilles although being brave aid thee who remaining behind doubtless enjoined many things to thee going forth do not return to me o equestrian patroclus to the hollow barks before thou rendest the blood-stained garment around the breast of man-slaughtering hector thus doubtless he addressed thee and persuaded the mind of foolish thee but him o night patroclus breathing faintly thou didst address even now hector vaunt greatly for jove the son of saturn and apollo have given thee the victory who subdued me easily for they stripped the armour from my shoulders but even if twenty such as thou had opposed me they had all perished here subdued by my spear but destructive fate and the son of latona have slain me and of men euphorbrus whilst thou the third dost despoil me slain another thing will i tell thee and do thou ponder it in thy soul not long indeed shalt thou thyself advance in life but death and violent fate already stand near thee subdued by the hands of achilles the blameless descendant of achis him then having thus spoken the end of death then overshadowed but his soul flying from his members departed to hades bewailing its lot relinquishing manliness and youth but him dead illustrious hector addressed why now patroclus dost thou prophesy cruel destruction to me who knows whether achilles the son of fair-haired thetis stricken by my spear may not be the first to lose his life thus having spoken he extracted the brazen spear from the wound pressing on him with his heel and thrust him prostrate from the spear then immediately with the spear he went against automedon the godlike servant of swift-footed achides for he was anxious to strike him but the fleet immortal steeds which the gods bestowed upon peleus splendid gifts bore him away end of book the sixteenth read by stephen carney Section 17, Book the 17th of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer, by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 17, Book the 17th. Argument. Euphorbus, attempting to despoil Patroclus of his armor, is slain by Menelaus. It falls to the lot of Hector, but he retires on the account of Ajax, being rebuked by glaucus he returns and a fierce contest is renewed over the body of patroclus the chariot of achilles is bravely defended by automedon but the greeks at last begin to give way even ajax being seized with consternation Meriones and menelaus however succeed in carrying off the body of patroclus although the greeks are completely routed nor did patroclus subdued in fight by the trojans escape the notice of the son of atreus mars beloved menelaus but he advanced through the foremost warriors armed in glittering brass and round him he walked like a dam around its calf having brought forth for the first time moaning not being before conscious of parturition thus did yellow-haired menelaus walk around patroclus but before him he extended his spear and his shield on all sides equal anxious to slay him whoever indeed should come against him nor was the son of panthus of the good ashen spear neglectful of blameless patroclus fallen but he stood near him and addressed warlike menelaus o menelaus son of atreus 
Jove nurtured one, leader of the people, retire, and leave the body, and let alone the bloody spoils. For not any of the illustrious Trojans or allies smote Patroclus with a spear in the violent conflict before me. Wherefore permit me to bear away the great glory amongst the Trojans, lest I should strike thee, and take away thy sweet life. But him, yellow-haired Menelaus, very indignant, addressed, Father Jove, certainly it is not fitting to boast inordinately. Not so great is the might of a panther, nor a lion, nor of a destructive wild boar, whose most mighty courage rages in his heart, violently in its strength, as much as the sons of Panthus of the good ashen spear breathe forth. Nor did the might of horse-breaking Haperinor enjoy his youth when he reproached me and withstood me, and said that I was the most reproachful warrior amongst the Greeks, nor did he, I think, returning upon his feet, gratify his dear wife and respected parents. Thus certainly will I dissolve thy strength, if thou wilt stand against me. But I advise thee, retiring, to go back into the crowd, nor do thou stand against me, before thou suffer any harm, for it is a fool that perceives a thing when it is done. Thus he spoke, but persuaded him not. But he answering spoke, now indeed, O Jove-nurtured Menelaus, thou shalt make atonement for thy brother, whom thou hast slain, and over whom thou speakest boastingly. And thou hast widowed his wife in the recess of her new bridal chamber, and caused a cursed mourning and sorrow to his parents. Certainly I should be some alleviation of woe to them wretched, if indeed, bearing back thy head and armor, I should place them in the hands of Panthus and noble Pronthus. Nor shall the labor of valor or flight be untried or invincible any longer. So saying, he smote him upon the shield equal on all sides, nor did the brass break through, for the point was bent in the stout shield, and Menelaus, the son of Atreus, next made the attack with his brazen spear, having prayed to father Jove. He smote him upon the lowest part of the gullet as he retired, and he himself forcibly impressed the spear relying on his strong hand, and the point went quite through his soft neck, and falling, he made a crash, and his armor rang upon him and his locks like unto the graces were bedewed with blood, and his curls which were bound with gold and silver, and as a man rears a widely blooming plant of olive, fair budding in a solitary place, where water is wont to spring up in abundance, and which the breezes of every wind agitate, and it buds forth with a white flower, but a wind suddenly coming on with a mighty blast overturns it from the furrow, and stretches it upon the earth. So the son of Panthus, Euphorbus, skilled in the use of the ashen spear, Menelaus, son of Atreus, when he had slain him, spoiled of his armor. As when any mountain-nurtured lion, relying on his strength, has carried off from the pasturing herd a heifer, which is the best, but first he breaks its neck, seizing it in his strong teeth, and then tearing it in pieces, laps up the blood and all the entrails, whilst around him dogs and herdsmen shout very frequently from a distance, nor do they wish to go against him, for pale fear violently seizes them. Thus the soul of no one within his breast dared to advance against glorious Menelaus. Then indeed the son of Atreus had easily borne off the celebrated arms of the son of Panthus, had not Phoebus Apollo envied him, who immediately aroused Hector, equal to fleet Mars, against him, assimilating himself to the hero Mentes, leader of the Sicones, and addressing him, he spoke winged words hector now indeed thou art thus running pursuing things not to be overtaken the steeds of warlike achilles they indeed are difficult to be managed by mortal men or to be driven by any other than achilles whom an immortal mother bore in the meanwhile menelaus the warlike son of atreus protecting patroclus has slain the bravest of the trojans euphorbus the son of panthus and made him cease from impetuous valor thus having spoken the god on his part again departed into the labor of the men but heavy grief oppressed Hector as to his dark soul. 
Then, indeed, he looked around through the ranks, and immediately observed the one bearing away the famous armor, and the other lying upon the ground, and the blood flowed through the inflicted wound. But he advanced through the foremost warriors, armed in shining brass, shrilly shouting, like unto the inextinguishable flame of Vulcan. Nor did he escape the notice of the son of Atreus loudly exclaiming, but he, deeply sighing, thus communed with his own great-hearted soul. Ah, me! If I leave the beautiful armor and Patroclus, who lies here for the sake of my honor, I dread lest some one of the Greeks, whoever perceives it, will be indignant. But if being alone I fight with Hector and the Trojans, from shame I fear lest many surround me being alone. But crest-tossing Hector is leading all the Trojans hither. But wherefore has my soul been thus debating? Whenever a man desires it, in opposition to a deity, to fight with a hero whom a god honors, soon is a great destruction hurled upon him. Wherefore no one of the Greeks will blame me, who may perceive me retiring from Hector, since he wars under the impulse of a god. But if I could hear Ajax, brave in the din of war, both of us again returning would be mindful of battle, even against a god. If by any means we could draw off the body for the sake of Achilles, the son of Peleus, of Evils, certainly it would be the better. While he was thus deliberating these things, in his mind and soul, the ranks of the Trojans were meanwhile advancing, and Hector led the way, but he retired back and quitted the corpse, turning round as a shaggy-bearded lion, which dogs and men drive from the stall with spears and clamour. Out his valiant heart within his breast is shaken, and he unwilling departs from the fold. Thus did yellow-haired Menelaus retire from Patroclus, and being turned round, he stood when he had reached the band of his companions, looking all around for mighty Ajax, the son of Telamon, whom he very quickly perceived upon the left of the whole battle, encouraging his companions, and urging them to fight for phoebus apollo had cast a heaven-sent panic amongst them but he made haste to run and immediately standing near spoke ajax hither friend let us hasten in defence of slain patroclus if we can bear his naked course at least to achilles for his armour crest-tossing hector possesses thus he spoke but he roused the courage of warlike ajax and he advanced through the foremost warriors and with him yellow-haired menelaus Hector, on his part, after he had despoiled him of his beautiful armor, was dragging Patroclus, that he might sever the head from the shoulders with a sharp brass, and carrying off the body might give it to the Trojan dogs, when Ajax came near, bearing his shield like a tower. Then Hector, retiring back, retreated into the throng of his companions, and sprung up into his chariot. But he gave the handsome armor to the Trojans to carry to the city, to be a great glory to him. But Ajax, with his broad shield covering around the son of Menoetius, stood like a lion over her young, against which, when leading her whelps, the huntsmen rush together in the wood, whilst he looks dreadful in his might, and draws down all his eyebrows, concealing his eyes. So strode Ajax round the hero Patroclus. On the other side stood the son of Atreus, warlike Menelaus, augmenting the great grief in his bosom. But Glaucus, the son of Hippolochus, leader of the Lycian heroes, looking sternly at Hector, upbraided him with harsh language. Hector, most excellent as to appearance, certainly thou art greatly deficient in fighting. Doubtless good fame possesses thee without reason, since thou art a fugitive. Consider now how alone with the people who are born in Ilium thou mayest preserve the state and city, for none of the Lycians at all events will go to fight with the Greeks for thy city, since indeed there is no gratitude for fighting ever incessantly with hostile men. How indeed, inglorious one, hast thou preserved an inferior man in the throng, and suffered Sarpedon at once thy guest and companion to become a prey and booty to the Greeks, who, when alive, was a great advantage to thy city and thyself? but now thou didst not attempt to drive away the dogs from him. 
Wherefore, if any of the Lycian warriors will now obey me, go home, and utter destruction will be manifest to Troy. For if now that confident, intrepid strength was in the Trojans, which enters heroes who in the defence of their country undertake toil and conflict with hostile men, immediately might we draw Patroclus into Ilium. But if he, lifeless, should come to the great city of King Priam, and we had drawn him away from the battle, quickly indeed would the Greeks ransom to us the beautiful armour of Sarpedon, and we might bear himself also into Troy. For the attendant of that man is slain, who is by far the bravest of the Greeks at the ships, and whose servants are close-fighting warriors. But thou, forsooth, hast not dared to stand against magnanimous Ajax, beholding his eyes in the battle of the enemy, nor to fight against him." for he is more brave than thou. But him sturdily regarding, crest-tossing Hector addressed, O Glaucus, why hast thou, being such as thou art, spoken haughtily? If faith, friend, I thought that thou didst excel in judgment the others, as many as inhabit fertile Lycia. But now I altogether blame thy understanding, since thou hast thus spoken, thou who sayest that I do not withstand mighty Ajax, neither have I dreaded the battle nor the tumult of steeds, but the counsel of aegis-bearing Jove is ever superior, who puts even the valiant man to flight, and easily takes away the victory. But at another time he himself impels him to fight. But come hither, my friend, stand by me, and behold my conduct. Truly I shall always be a coward, as thou sayest, or I will restrain even some of the Greeks, although very eager from keeping defence over dead Patroclus. Thus saying, he cheered on the Trojans, loudly shouting, Ye Trojans and Lycians, and close-fighting Dardanians, be men, my friends, and be mindful of impetual valour, whilst I put on the armour of illustrious Achilles, beautiful, of which I despoiled mighty Patroclus, having slain him. Thus having spoken, crest-tossing Hector departed from the glowing battle, and running very quickly overtook his companions not far off, following with swift feet those who were bearing towards the city the renowned arms of Achilles. Then standing apart from the mournful battle, he changed his armour. His own, indeed, he gave to the warlike Trojans to bear to sacred Ilium. But he put on the immortal arms of Achilles, the son of Peleus, which the heavenly gods had bestowed on his dear father. But he, indeed, growing old, presented them to his son, but the son grew not old in the armour of his father. But when cloud-compelling Jove beheld him apart, accoutred in the armour of divine Pelides, then shaking his head, he said to his own soul, ah luckless one nor is death at all in thy thoughts which is now near thee but thou puttest on the immortal armour of the bravest hero at whom others also tremble and thou hast slain his companion both gentle and brave and thou hast taken the armour from his head and shoulders not according to propriety but now will i give into thy hands a great victory a compensation for this that andromache shall never receive from thee having returned from the battle the illustrious arms of the son of peleus the son of saturn spoke and moreover nodded with his sable brows but the armour fitted the person of hector and mars the dreadful warrior entered him and his limbs were inwardly filled with the might and strength and he went after the illustrious allies exclaiming aloud and glittering in his armour to all of them he presented the appearance of the magnanimous son of peleus but going among them he animated each with his words mesthiles glaucus medon and thersilicus estropaeus disenor and hippothous Phorcus, Chromius, and Enemus, the augur, exhorting these he spoke winged words. Here, ye countless troops of allies dwelling around, for I did not assemble you here, each from his own city, seeking or wanting a crowd, but that ye might willingly defend for me the wives and infant children of the Trojans from the warlike Greeks. 
thinking these things i wear away my people by gifts and provisions to you and i satisfy the desire of each of you wherefore now let some one being turned round straight either perish or be saved for these are the chances of war nevertheless whoever will drag patroclus although dead to the horse-breaking trojans and to whom ajax shall yield to him will i present one half of the spoils but i myself will keep the other half and glory shall be to him as much as to me thus he spoke but they lifting up their spears advanced with condensed might direct against the greeks and their mind eagerly hoped to draw away the dead body from telamonian ajax fools truly over it he took away the life from many and then ajax addressed menelaus good in the din of war o my friend o jove nurtured menelaus no longer do i expect that even we ourselves will return from battle nor do i fear so much about the dead body of patroclus which will quickly satiate the dogs and the birds of the trojans as much as i fear for my own head lest it suffer anything and for thine for hector that cloud of war overshadows all things whilst to us on the other hand utter destruction appears but come call the bravest of the greeks if any one will hear thus he spoke nor did menelaus good in the din of war disobey but he shouted crying with a loud voice to the greeks o friends leaders and chieftains of the greeks ye who with agamemnon the son of atreus and menelaus drink the public wine and command each his forces but honour and glory follows from jove difficult would it be for me to look to each of the leaders for so great a strife of battle burns but let some one advance and let him be indignant in his mind that patroclus should become a sport to trojan dogs thus he spoke but quickly the swift oilean ajax heard and first advanced opposite running through the battle after him idomeneus and meriones the armor-bearer of idomeneus equal to men slaughtering mars but who in his mind could recount the names of the others as many as afterwards aroused the battle of the greeks but the trojans in close array first made the onset and hector led them on but as when at the mouths of a river flowing from jove the great wave roars against the stream while around the lofty shores resound the wave being ejected upon the beach with so loud a clamour did the trojans advance but the greeks stood round the son of menoetius having one spirit protected by their brazen shields whilst over their shining helmets the son of saturn poured a thick haze for he did not formerly hate the son of menoetius when being alive he was the attendant of achilles therefore he was loath that he should become a prey to the trojan dogs of the enemy and so he excited his companions to defend him the trojans however first dislodged the dark-eyed greeks and they leaving the body retreated nor did the magnanimous trojans slay any of them with their spears although desirous but drew off the body but the greeks were about to be absent from him a very short while for very quickly did ajax rally them who next to the renowned son of peleus excelled the other greeks in beauty and in deeds and he broke through the front ranks resembling a wild boar in strength which amongst the mountains easily disperses the dogs and the blooming youths through the woods turning to bay so the son of illustrious telamon noble ajax having made the attack easily routed the phalanxes of the trojans who had surrounded patroclus and mostly expected to drag him to their city and bear away glory meanwhile hippothus the illustrious son of pelasgian lethus was dragging him by the foot through the violent conflict having bound him with a strap at the ankle round the tendons gratifying hector and the trojans but soon came evil upon him which no one even of those desiring it averted from him him the son of telamon rushing through the crowd smote in close fight through the brazen-cheeked helmet the horse-haired helmet was cleft by the point of the weapon stricken by the great spear and strong hand and the brain bloody gushed out of the wound at the cone of the helmet and his strength was there relaxed 
then he let fall from his hands the foot of magnanimous patroclus to lie upon the earth and near him he himself fell prone upon the dead body far away from fertile larissa nor did he repay the debt of nourishment to his beloved parents for his life was short subdued by the spear of magnanimous ajax but hector again aimed at ajax with his shining spear he however seeing and opposite avoided the brazen spear by a little but he struck Scedius, the magnanimous son of Iphitus, by far the bravest of the Phocians, who inhabited the dwellings in renowned Panopeus, ruling over many men. Him he smote under the middle of the clavicle, and the brazen point of the weapon went quite through, near the extremity of the shoulder. Falling he made a crash, and his arms rang upon him. Then Ajax again smote warlike Phorcus, the son of Phanops, in the middle of the belly, while defending Hippothus, and he broke the cavity of the corslet, and the brazen weapon drank his entrails through, and falling in the dust he seized the earth with the palm of his hand the foremost warriors and illustrious hector retreated but the greeks shouted loudly and drew off the bodies both phorcus and hippothus and they loosed the armor from their shoulders then again would the trojans routed by the warlike greeks have gone up to ilium subdued through cowardice but the argives on their part by their valor and might would have obtained glory even contrary to the destined will of jove had not apollo himself excited aeneas in body like unto periphus the herald son of Ipetus, who knowing prudent counsels in his mind had grown old as a herald with his aged sire assimilating himself to him apollo the son of jove addressed him o aeneas how could ye preserve lofty ilium against the deity since i behold these other men relying on their bravery and might and valor and their number and possessing a dauntless host yet jove wills the victory to us rather than to the deny yet ye greatly tremble nor fight thus he spoke but aeneas seeing him before him recognized far-darting apollo and loudly shouting addressed hector o hector and ye other leaders of the trojans and allies this now indeed is a shame that we subdued by cowardice should go up to ilium driven by the warlike achaeans for already even now some one of the gods having stood near to me declared that jove the highest counsellor is an ally of the battle to us wherefore let us go direct against the greeks nor let them quietly move the dead patroclus to the ships thus he spoke and then springing forth stood far before the front ranks but they rallied and stood opposed to the greeks then aeneas wounded with his spear leocritus son of erisbus the brave companion of lycomedes him falling warlike lycomedes pitied and advancing very near he stood and hurled with his shining spear and struck apision the son of hippasus shepherd of the people in the liver beneath the diaphragm and immediately relaxed his limbs he had come from fertile paeonia and next to asteropaeus was the bravest to fight warlike asteropaeus pitied him fallen and he rushed forward willing to fight with the greeks but not yet could he do so for those standing around patroclus were fenced in on every side with shields and held their spears before them for ajax went eagerly among all greatly cheering them on he suffered not any one either to retire from the body nor any of the greeks to fight in front excelling the others but vigorously to stalk around for defence and to combat in close fight thus did mighty ajax command but the earth was moistened with purple gore whilst upon each other fell the dead bodies of the trojans and courageous allies and of the greeks for neither did they fight bloodlessly although far fewer perished because they were ever mindful throughout the tumult to repel severe labor from each other thus indeed they fought like a fire nor would you say that the sun was safe or the moon for they were wrapped in dark haze in the combat as many of the bravest as stood around the dead son of menoetius the other trojans and well-armed greeks however fought at ease beneath the atmosphere 
the piercing splendor of the sun was expanded over them and the cloud did not appear over all the earth nor the mountains resting at intervals they fought avoiding the cruel weapons of each other standing far asunder whilst those in the middle suffered hardships from darkness and from war and were afflicted by the ruthless brass as many as were most brave but two heroes illustrious men thrasymedes and antilochus had not yet heard that blameless patroclus was dead but thought that still alive he was fighting with the trojans in the foremost tumult but these watching the slaughter and the flight of their companions fought apart since nestor had so ordered urging them on to battle from the black ships but to these all day a mighty contest of severe strife arose and ever incessantly the knees the legs and the feet of each under him the hands and the eyes of those fighting around the brave companion of swift-footed achilles were defiled with fatigue and perspiration and as when a man gives the hide of a huge ox saturated with grease to his people to stretch but they having received stretch it standing apart from each other in a circle and straightway the moisture exudes and the oily matter enters many pulling it till it is stretched in every direction so they on both sides drag the body here and there in a small space for the mind of the trojans on the one hand eagerly hoped to draw him to ilium but of the greeks on the other to the hollow ships around him arose a fierce tumult nor could mars the exciter of troops nor minerva having beheld it have found fault not even if wrath had particularly come upon her such an evil labour of men and horses did jove extend over patroclus that day nor as yet did a noble achilles at all know that patroclus was dead because they fought far from the swift ships beneath the wall of the trojans he never thought in his mind that he was dead but that alive having approached the gates he would return back since he did not at all suppose that he could sack the city without him for he had often heard this from his mother hearing it apart who used to tell him the design of mighty jove yet his mother had not then told him so great an evil as had happened that the companion by far most dear to him had perished but they ever around the dead body holding their sharp spears charged incessantly and slaughtered one another and thus would some of the brazen mailed greeks say o friends surely it will not be honourable for us to retreat to the hollow ships but rather let the black earth here gape for us all this indeed would at once be better for us than that we should permit the horse-breaking trojans to drag him to their city and obtain glory and thus also would some one of the magnanimous trojans say o friends although it be our destiny that all be equally subdued beside this man never let any one retire from the battle thus then some one said and roused the spirit of each thus indeed were they fighting and the iron clangor reached the brazen heaven through the unfruitful air but the horses of achides being apart from the combat wept when they first perceived that their charioteer had fallen in the dust beneath men slaughtering hector automedon indeed the brave son of diorus frequently urged them on beating them with a sharp lash and frequently addressed them in mild terms and in threats but they chose neither to go back to the ships towards the wild hellespont nor into the battle among the greeks but as a pillar remains firm which stands at the tomb of a dead man or woman so they remained detaining the splendid chariot motionless and drooping their heads to the earth but warm tears flowed from their eyelids to the earth complaining from desire of their charioteer and their thick mane was defiled flowing down on both sides from the collar at the yoke but the son of saturn beholding them lamenting felt compassion and shaking his head communed with his own mind ah luckless pair why did we give you to king peleus a mortal for ye are free from old age and immortal was it that ye might endure griefs with unhappy men for there is not anything at all more wretched than man of all as many as breathe and move over the earth but hector the son of priam shall not be borne by you even in the curiously wrought chariot 
for I will not permit it. Is it not enough that he possesses those arms and vainly boasts? But into your knees and spirit will I cast vigour, that ye may safely bear Automedon from the battle to the hollow ships. For still will I give glory to the Trojans to slay, until they reach the well-benched ships, till the sun set and sacred darkness come on. So saying, he breathed strong vigour into the steeds, and they, shaking the dust from their manes to the ground, quickly bore the rabid car amongst the Trojans and the Greeks, and against them fought Automedon, though grieved for his companion, rushing along in his chariot like a vulture among the geese. For he fled easily from the tumult of the Trojans, and easily did he rush on, pursuing through the dense throng. Yet did he not slay the men when he pressed onward to pursue, for it was by no means possible for him, being alone in the sacred car, to assault with the spear and to rein in the fleet steeds. At length, however, a companion, the hero Alcimedon, son of Lerceus, the son of Amon, beheld him with his eyes, and stood behind his chariot and addressed Automedon. Which of the gods, O Automedon, has placed a foolish counsel in thy bosom, and taken from thee sound judgment, inasmuch as alone thou fightest in the foremost ranks with the Trojans? Thy companion indeed is slain, and Hector himself vaunts, having upon his shoulders the armour of Achates. Him then Automedon, the son of Diorus, addressed. Alcimedon, what other of the Greeks, then, is like thee, to subdue and restrain the spirit of immortal steeds, unless Patroclus, whilst alive, a counsellor equal to the gods? Now, however, death and fate possess him. Nevertheless do thou take the lash and beautiful reins, but I will descend from the chariot, that I may fight. Thus he spoke. But Alcimedon, ascending the chariot, swift in war, instantly took in his hands the lash and reins, whilst Automedon leaped down. But illustrious Hector perceived this, and immediately addressed Aeneas, being near. Aeneas, counsellor of the brazen-mailed Trojans, I have observed these two steeds of Achilles proceeding through the battle with unskilful charioteers. I therefore may hope to capture them, if thou at least desire it in thy mind. For standing opposite, they will not dare to withstand us, rushing on to fight in battle. Thus he spoke, nor did the brave son of Anchises disobey. Both advanced direct, covered as to their shoulders with bulls' hides, dry, thick, and upon them much brass was plated. But along with them went both Chromius and godlike Aretus, and their mind greatly hoped to slay them, and to drive away the long-necked steeds. Foolish, for they were not destined to return back bloodlessly from Automedon, for he, having prayed to Father Jove, was filled with fortitude and valour, as to his dark mind, and immediately addressed Alcimedon, his faithful comrade. O Alcimedon, do not now detain the steeds far from me, but keep them breathing closely at my back, for I do not think that Hector, the son of Priam, will abstain from violence, before that he has mounted the beautiful maned horses of Achilles, having slain both of us, and put to rout the ranks of Grecian heroes, or himself be slain among the first. Thus saying, he called upon the Ajaces and Menelaus. Ye Ajaces, leaders of the Greeks and Menelaus, leave then the dead body to those, as many as are bravest, to defend it on all sides, and to repulse the ranks of men. But from us who are alive, avert the merciless day. For hither violently rush through the lamentable fight Hector and Aeneas, who are the best of the Trojans. But all these things rest upon the knees of the gods. For I also will hurl, and all these things will be a care to Jove. He said, and brandishing hurled his long-shadowed spear, and struck upon the shield of Aretus, equal on all sides. It, however, did not repel the spear, but the brass went entirely through, and passed through the belt into the bottom of his belly. And as when a man in youthful vigour holding a sharp axe cuts through the whole tendon, striking behind the horns of a wild bull, but it leaping forward falls, so he, springing forward, fell supine, 
and the sharp spear quivering in his entrails relaxed his limbs. Then Hector took aim at Automedon with his shining spear, but he, seeing it in front of him, avoided the brazen weapon, for he bent forward, but the long spear was fixed in the ground behind him, and moreover the nether end of the spear was shaken. But there then the strong weapon spent its force. Then truly they would have engaged hand to hand with their swords, had not the eager Ajaces, who came through the crowd at the call of their companion, separated them. But Hector, Aeneas, and godlike Chromius, greatly dreading them, retired back again, and left Aretus lying there, lacerated as to his heart. But him Automedon, equal to swift Mars, despoiled of his armour, and boasting, uttered this speech. Surely now I have a little relieved my heart of sorrow for the dead son of Menoetius, although having slain but an inferior man. Thus having spoken, seizing the gore-stained spoils, he placed them in the chariot, and mounted himself, bloody as to his feet and hands above, like some lion which has fed upon a bull. Again over Patroclus was the direful battle extended, grievous, lamentable, and Minerva excited the contention, descending from heaven, for far-sounding Jove sent her forth to encourage the Greeks, as his intention was now changed. As Jove extends a purple rainbow from heaven to mortals, to be a signal either of war or of a chilling storm, which causes men to cease from their works upon the earth, and afflicts the cattle, so she, having obscured herself in a purple cloud, entered the army of the Greeks, and aroused every man. First, however, she addressed the son of Atreus, gallant Menelaus, inciting him, for he was near her, assimilating herself in her form and unwearied voice to Phoenix. Thine of a truth will shame and disgrace now be, O Menelaus, if the swift dogs tear the faithful companion of illustrious Achilles beneath the wall of the Trojans. Therefore bravely hold on, and urge on all the people. Whom in return Menelaus, good in the din of war, addressed, Phoenix, father, old man, long since born, would that Minerva would give me strength, and ward off the force of the weapons. Then indeed would I be willing to stand by and defend Patroclus, for dying he greatly affected my mind with grief. But Hector has the dreadful force of fire, nor does he cease slaying with his spear, for to him Jove affords glory. Thus he spoke, but the azure-eyed goddess Minerva rejoiced, because to her he had prayed first of all the gods but in his shoulders and knees she put strength and placed in his bosom the boldness of a fly which although frequently driven away from a human body persists in biting and the blood of man is sweet to it with such confidence she filled his dark soul and he advanced towards patroclus and took aim with his splendid spear now there was among the trojans one podes the son of Aetion, rich and brave whom of his people hector chiefly honoured for he was his dear companion in the banquet him yellow-haired Menelaus smote upon the belt while hastening to flight, and drove the brazen weapon quite through. He, falling, gave a crash, and Menelaus, the son of Atreus, dragged away the body from the Trojans to the crowd of his companions. But Apollo, standing near, excited Hector in the likeness of Phaenops, son of Aeseus, who, inhabiting dwelling at Abydos, was most dear to him of all his guests. Assimilating himself to him, far-darting Apollo spoke. Hector, what other of the Greeks will any more fear thee, since now thou dreadest Menelaus, who indeed before was but an effeminate warrior, but now departs done, bearing off the dead corse for the Trojans? He has slain in the front ranks Podes, the son of Aetion, thy comrade, faithful and brave. Thus he spoke, but him a dark cloud of grief overshadowed, and he went through the front ranks, armed in glittering brass. And then the son of Saturn took his aegis, fringed and splendid, and covered Ida with clouds. 
but having flashed his lightning, he thundered very loudly, and shook the mountain, and he gave victory to the Trojans, but put the Greeks to flight. Peneleus the Boeotian first was leader of the flight, for he was wounded slightly on the tip of the shoulder with a spear, being always turned frontwards. But the spear of Polydamus grazed even to the bone, for he, coming close, had wounded him. Next Hector wounded Laetus, son of magnanimous Electrion, on the hand at the wrist, and caused him to cease from battle. Then looking around him, he trembled, since he no longer hoped in his mind to be able to fight with the Trojans, holding his spear in his hand. But Idomeneus had struck on the corslet upon the breast near the pap, Hector rushing after Laetus. The long spear, however, was broken at the socket, and the Trojans shouted. But Hector discharged his javelin at Idomeneus, the son of Deucalion, as he was standing in his car. Him he missed by a little, but struck Coranus, the attendant and charioteer of Marionus, who had followed him from well-situated Lyctus. For at first on foot, having left his equally plied ships, he came, and would have secured a decided victory to the Trojans, had not Coranus quickly driven on his swift-footed steeds. To him then Coranus came as a help, and warded off the merciless day. But he himself lost his life beneath manslaughtering Hector. Him he smote beneath the jawbone and ear, and the extremity of the spear forced out his teeth and cut through the middle of his tongue. He fell from his chariot, and the reins dropped to the ground, and Marionus, stooping, lifted them from the plain in his own hands, and addressed Idomeneus. Lash on now until thou reach the swift ships, for even thou thyself perceivest that victory is no longer on the side of the Achaeans. Thus he spake, and Idomeneus lashed on the beautiful maned steeds to the hollow ships, for fear now seized his mind. Nor did Jove escape notice of magnanimous Ajax and Menelaus, when he for the present gave the dubious victory to the Trojans, but to them the mighty Ajax, son of Telamon, began to speak. Alas! Even who is very stupid might now know that father Jove himself is aiding the Trojans, for the weapons of them all take effect, whoever may throw them, whether coward or brave man. Jove certainly directs them all, but the weapons of all of us fall to the earth in vain. Come, however, let us devise the best plan, both how we may drag off the course, and how we ourselves may be a source of joy to our beloved comrades, having returned home. They, of a truth, beholding us here, are grieved, and think that we shall no longer resist the might and invincible hands of manslaughtering Hector. But would there were some companion who would quickly bring word to Achilles, since I think he has not yet heard the mournful tidings, that his dear comrade has died. But nowhere can I see such a person among the Greeks, for they and their steeds are together enveloped in darkness. O father Jove, liberate at least the sons of the Greeks from darkness, make a clear atmosphere, and grant us to see with our eyes, then destroy us in the light, if thus it be pleasing to thee. Thus he spoke, but the sire felt compassion for him weeping, and immediately dissipated the haze, and removed the cloud. And the sun shone forth, and the whole battle was displayed, and then Ajax addressed Menelaus, good in the din of war. Look around now, O Jove-nurtured Menelaus, if anywhere thou canst perceive yet alive Antilochus, the son of magnanimous Nestor. Urge him, going speedily, to tell warlike Achilles that the comrade by far most dear to him has perished. Thus he spoke, nor did Menelaus, good in the din of war, disobey, but he hastened to go, like some lion from a fold, which after that he is fatigued, harassing both dogs and men, who watching all night, suffer him not to carry off the fat of the oxen, but he desirous of flesh rushes on, but nothing profits, for many javelins fly against him from daring hands, and blazing torches, which eager as he is, he dreads, but early in the morning he goes apart with saddened mind, 
so most unwilling from patroclus went menelaus brave in the din of war because he greatly feared lest the greeks through grievous terror should leave him a prey to the enemy and much therefore he exhorted Meriones and the ajaces ye ajaces leaders of the greeks and Meriones, now let each one be mindful of the gentleness of wretched patroclus for when alive he knew how to be mild to all but now indeed death and fate overtake him thus then having spoken yellow-haired menelaus departed gazing round in all directions like an eagle which they say sees most acutely of birds beneath the sky and which though being aloft the swift-footed hare does not escape when lying beneath a dense foliaged thicket but he pounces upon it and quickly seizing it deprives it of life thus o jove nurtured menelaus were thy shining eyes turned around in all directions through the band of thy numerous companions if anywhere thou mightest behold the son of nestor yet living but him he very soon perceived upon the left of all the battle encouraging his companions and inciting them to fight and standing near yellow-haired menelaus addressed him o oh, hither come antilochus jove nurtured that thou mayest hear the sad message which would that it had not happened i think indeed that thou thyself looking perceivest that a god rolls disaster upon the greeks but that victory is on the side of the trojans for patroclus the bravest of the greeks is slain and a great longing after him has befallen the greeks but do thou quickly tell it to achilles running to the ships of the greeks if perchance quickly he may bring in safety to his ships the unarmed body for crest-tossing hector possesses the armour thus he spoke but antilochus shuddered hearing the news and long did a want of words possess him and his eyes were filled with tears and his liquid voice was interrupted yet not even thus did he neglect the command of menelaus but he hastened to run and gave his armour to laodocus his blameless companion who near him managed the solid hooved steeds him however his feet bore weeping from the battle about to communicate the evil news to achilles son of peleus nor o jove nurtured menelaus was thy mind willing to aid the harassed comrades in the place whence antilochus had departed and great longing after him was caused to the pylians but to them he sent noble thrasymedes and he himself went again towards the hero patroclus but arriving he stood beside the ajaces and immediately addressed them him indeed i have now dispatched to the swift ships to go to swift-footed achilles yet i do not think that he will come although greatly enraged with noble hector for being unarmed he could by no means fight with the trojans let even us then ourselves deliberate upon the best plan as well how we shall draw off the body as also how we ourselves may escape death and fate from the clamour of the trojans but him mighty telamonian ajax then answered all things correctly hast thou spoken o illustrious menelaus but do thou and Meriones, stooping quickly under it having lifted it up bear the body from the fight whilst we two of like name possessing equal courage will fight with the trojans and with noble hector we who even formerly have sustained the sharp conflict remaining by each other thus he spoke but they with great exertion lifted up the body in their arms from the ground but the trojan army shouted in their rear when they saw the greeks raising up the dead body and rushed on like dogs which spring upon a wounded boar before the youthful hunters one while indeed they run eager to tear him asunder but again when he turns upon them relying on his strength then they retreat and fly in different directions hither and thither so the trojans sometimes steadily pursued in a body striking with their swords and two-edged spears but when again the ajaces turning round upon them stood then was their colour changed nor dared any one rushing forward to combat for the corpse thus they with alacrity bore the body from the fight towards the hollow ships but the fierce battle was extended to them like a flame which assailing and being suddenly excited 
sets fire to a city of men and the houses diminish in the mighty blaze whilst the force of the wind roars through it so a horrid tumult of steeds and warlike heroes followed them departing but as mules exerting vast strength drag from a mountain along a rugged path either a beam or a large piece of timber for shipbuilding but the spirit within them as they hasten is wearied equally with fatigue and perspiration so they with alacrity bore away the body whilst the ajaces behind them checked the enemy as a barrier of wood stretched straight across a plain restrains water which checks the furious courses even of rapid rivers and immediately turning them directs the streams of all into the plain nor can they at all burst through it though flowing with violence so the ajaces in the rear always repulsed the attack of the trojans who however following along with them but two amongst them in particular aeneas son of anchises and illustrious hector and as a cloud of starlings or jackdaws shrilly chattering flies away when they perceive a hawk advancing which brings death to small birds so then from aeneas and hector departed the sons of the greeks loudly clamouring and were forgetful of the fight and much beautiful armour of the flying greeks fell both in and about the trench but there was no cessation from the battle end of book the seventeenth read by stephen carney Section 18, Book the 18th of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer, by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 18, Book the 18th. Argument. Thetis comforts her son for the death of Patroclus, and promises to procure him new armor from Vulcan. At the command of Juno, Achilles comes forth and strikes terror into the enemy. The body of Patroclus is rescued and prepared for funeral rites, and Vulcan forges a suite of armor and a splendid shield for Achilles. Thus they then were fighting, like a blazing fire. But swift-footed Antilochus came as a messenger to Achilles. Him he found in front of his lofty proud ships, revolving in his mind those things which had already been accomplished, and then groaning, he communed with his own mind ah me why are the long-haired achaeans driven back in confusion to the ships routed through the plain i fear lest the gods have accomplished evil sorrows to my soul as my mother once informed me and told me that the bravest of the myrmidons i being yet alive would leave the light of the sun by the hands of the trojans too surely now the valiant son of menoetius is dead obstinate one certainly i desired him having repelled the hostile fire to return to the ships nor to fight bravely with hector whilst he was revolving these things in his mind and in his soul in the meantime the son of illustrious nestor drew near shedding warm tears and delivered his sad message alas o son of warlike peleus surely thou wilt hear a very grievous message which would that it had not taken place patroclus lies low and around his unarmed course they are now fighting whilst crest-tossing hector possesses his armour thus he spoke but him a black cloud of grief overshadowed and taking the burnt ashes with both hands he poured them on his head and denied his comely countenance but the dark ashes everywhere adhered to his rich tunic but he mighty lay extended at great length in the dust and tearing he disordered his hair with his hands the handmaids whom achilles and patroclus had taken grieved in their souls shrieked aloud and ran out of the door round warlike achilles and all smote their breasts with their hands and the limbs of each were relaxed 
Antilochus on the other side lamented, shedding tears, holding the hands of Achilles, and he kept groaning within his generous heart, for he feared lest he should cut his throat with his sword. Then he moaned dreadfully, and his venerable mother heard him, sitting in the depths of the sea beside her aged father, and immediately lamented. And all the goddesses assembled around her, as many nereids as were at the bottom of the sea. There were Glauci, Thalia, and Simodice, Nisaea, Spio, Thoa, and large-eyed Halia, Simothoi, Acteia, and Lemnoria, Melita, Aeria, and Pithoi, and Agave, Doto, Proto, Ferusa, and Dynameni, Dexameni, Amphonomi, and Calianira, Doris, Panopi, and distinguished Galatea, Nemertes, Apsuades, and Calianasa. There were also Clymene, Ianira, and Ianasa, Maera, Orithia, and fair-haired Amathia, and other nereids which were in the depths of the sea. But the resplendent cave was full of them, and all at once they beat their breasts. But Thetis began the lamentation. Hear, sister nereids, that hearing ye may all well know what grieves are in my mind. Woe is me, wretched! Woe is me, who have in an evil hour brought forth the bravest of men, I who, after having borne a son blameless and valiant, the chief of heroes, and he grew up like a young tree, having reared him like a sapling in a fruitful spot of a field, I afterwards sent him forth in the curved ships to Ilium, to fight against the Trojans, but I shall not receive him again, having returned home to the palace of Peleus, but whilst he lives and beholds the light of the sun, he grieves, nor can I, going to him, avail him aught. Yet will I go, that I may see my beloved son, and hear what grief comes upon him remaining away from the battle. Thus having spoken, she left the cave, but they all went along with her, weeping, and the wave of the ocean was cleft around for them. But when they reached fertile Troy, they in order ascended the shore, where the fleet ships of the Myrmidons were drawn up round swift Achilles. Then his venerable mother, shrilly wailing, stood near to him deeply lamenting, and took the head of her son, and mourning addressed to him winged words o son why weepest thou and what sorrow has come upon thy mind speak out nor conceal it those things indeed are fulfilled for thee from jove as thou didst formerly pray lifting up thy hands that all the sons of the greeks wanting thee should be collected at the ships and suffer disgraceful deeds but her swift-footed achilles addressed deeply groaning mother mine these things indeed the olympian king hath accomplished for me but what pleasure is there in them to me since patroclus my dear companion is dead whom i honoured beyond all my companions equally with my own head him have i lost and hector having slain him has stripped off his mighty armour a wonder to be seen beautiful which the other gods gave to peleus splendid gifts on that day when they laid thee in the bed of a mortal man would that thou hadst dwelt there among the immortal marine inhabitants and that peleus had wedded a mortal spouse but now thou hast been wedded to the end that immeasurable grief may be upon thy mind for thy son slain whom thou shalt not again receive having returned home since even my mind urges me not to live nor have intercourse with men unless hector first lose his life smitten by my spear and pay the penalty for the slaughter of patroclus the son of menoetius but him thetis in turn addressed pouring forth tears short-lived thou wilt be o my son as thou sayest for fate is ready for thee immediately after hector then heavily sighing swift-footed achilles addressed her may i die then immediately since it was not destined that i should aid my companion now slain 
but he indeed hath perished far away from his native land and longed for me to be an averter of his doom but now since i shall not return to my dear fatherland nor have been a preservation to patroclus or to my other companions who have been subdued in great numbers by noble hector but sit beside the ships an useless weight on the earth being such as is none of the brazen mailed achaeans in war though in council there are others superior would that therefore contention might be extinguished from gods and men and anger which is wont to impel even the very wisest to be harsh and which much sweeter than distilling honey like smoke rises in the breasts of men so now did agamemnon king of men enrage me but although greatly grieved let us leave these things to pass by as done subduing from necessity our own spirit within our bosoms but now will i go that i may find hector the destroyer of my friend and i will accept death whensoever jove and the other immortal gods shall please to accomplish it for not even the might of hercules escaped death who was very dear to king jove the son of saturn but fate subdued him and the grievous wrath of juno so also shall i lie when i am dead if a similar fate be destined for me but now may i bear away illustrious glory and compel some one of the trojan women and deep-robed dardanians to sigh frequently wiping away the tears from her tender cheeks with both hands and may they know that i have long ceased from battle wherefore do not hinder me from the combat although loving me for thou wilt not persuade me him then the silver-footed goddess thetis answered certainly this is true o son nor is it an evil thing to avert utter destruction from our friends when afflicted but thy beautiful arms brazen and shining are detained among the trojans which crest-tossing hector himself having on his shoulders boasts of yet i suspect that he will not long glory in them for death is near to him but do thou by no means enter the slaughter of mars before thou beholdest me with thine eyes coming hither for at dawn i will return with a rising sun bearing beautiful armour from king vulcan thus having spoken she turned round from her son and being turned addressed her marine sisters enter ye now the broad bosom of the deep about to behold the marine old man and the mansions of my sire and tell him all things but i go to lofty olympus to vulcan the skilful artist to try if he is willing to give my son illustrious glittering armour thus she spoke but they immediately sank beneath the wave of the sea but thetis the silver-footed goddess again departed to olympus that she might bear the illustrious armour to her beloved son her on the one hand her feet bore towards olympus but the greeks flying with the heaven-sent uproar from manslaughtering hector reached the ships and the hellespont nor had the well-grieved greeks drawn off the dead body of patroclus the attendant of achilles out of the reach of weapons for now again both infantry and cavalry pursued him and hector the son of priam like unto a flame in violence thrice did illustrious hector seize him behind the feet eager to draw him away and loudly shouted to the trojans and thrice did the two ajaces clad in impetuous might forcibly repulse him from the course whilst he with steady purpose ever relying on his might sometimes charged through the crowd and sometimes again stopped loudly shouting but never retreated altogether but as night-watching shepherds are by no means able to drive away from a carcass a tawny lion greatly hungering so were the two warriors the ajaces unable to drive away hector the son of priam from the body and now indeed would he have dragged it off and obtained great glory had not fleet wind-footed iris come as a messenger to the son of peleus running down from olympus that he should arm himself unknown to jove and the other gods for juno sent her forth and standing near she addressed to him winged words 
arise son of peleus most terrible of all men defend patroclus for whom a dire contest is maintained before the ships but they are slaughtering each other the one party fighting for the slain corpse while the other the trojans rush on that they may drag him away to wind-swept ilium and above all illustrious hector desires to seize him for his mind prompts him to fix his head upon stakes having cut it from the tender neck but up nor lie longer but let reverence touch thy soul that patroclus should be a source of delight to trojan dogs a disgrace would be to thee if the dead body should come at all defiled but her noble swift-footed achilles then answered which of the gods o goddess iris sent thee as a messenger to me but him fleet wind-footed iris again addressed juno sent me forth the glorious spouse of jove nor does the lofty throned son of saturn know it nor any of the immortals who inhabit snowy olympus but her swift-footed achilles answering addressed and how can i go to the slaughter for they possess my armour besides my dear mother does not permit me to be armed before that with my eyes i behold her coming for she hath promised that she will bear me beautiful armour from vulcan but i indeed not know of another whose splendid armour i could put on except the shield of ajax son of telamon but he i hope mingles in the front ranks slaying with his spear round the head of patroclus but him swift-footed iris again addressed well too do we know that they possess thy distinguished armour yet even thus going towards the ditch show thyself to the trojans if perchance the trojans terrified may desist from battle and the warlike harassed sons of the greeks may breathe again and there be a short respite from fighting thus indeed having spoken swift-footed iris departed but achilles dear to jove arose and around his strong shoulders minerva threw her fringed aegis and the divine one of goddesses crowned his head around with a golden cloud and from it she kindled a shining flame and as when smoke ascending from a city reaches the ether from an island afar off which foes invest who pouring out from their city contend all day in hateful fight but with the setting sun torches blaze one after another and the splendour arises rushing upwards for their neighbours to behold if perchance they may come with ships as repellers of the war thus did the flame from the head of achilles reach the sky he stood having advanced from the wall to the trench nor mingled with the greeks for he reverenced the prudent advice of his mother there standing he shouted and pallas minerva on the other side vociferated and stirred up immense tumult among the trojans and as the tone is very clear when a trumpet sounds while deadly foes are investing a city so distinct then was the voice of the descendant of achis but when they heard the brazen voice of achilles the soul was disturbed to all whilst the beautiful maned steeds turned the chariots backwards for they presaged sorrows in their mind the charioteers were panic-struck when they beheld the terrific indefatigable flame blazing over the head of magnanimous pelides for the azured-eyed goddess minerva lighted it thrice over the trench loudly shouted noble achilles and thrice were the trojans and their illustrious allies thrown into confusion there then perished twelve bravest heroes by their chariots and spears whilst the greeks dragging patroclus with joy out of the reach of weapons stretched him on a bier but his beloved companion stood round him mourning and with them followed swift-footed achilles shedding warm tears when he beheld his faithful comrade lying upon a bier lacerated with the sharp brass whom indeed he had sent forth with his horses and chariots to battle but he did not receive him again having returned but the large-eyed venerable juno sent the unwearied sun to return to the flowing of the ocean against his inclination the sun then set and noble greeks desisted from the violent conflict and the equally destructive battle the trojans again on the other side retiring from the violent combat loosed their fleet steeds from their chariots but they assembled in the council before they bethought them of their banquet 
the assembly consisted of persons standing up nor did any one dare to sit for fear possessed all because achilles had appeared who had long abstained from the direful combat among them prudent polydamus the son of panthus began to speak for he alone saw both the future and the past he was a companion of hector and they were born in one night but the one excelled in counsel and the other greatly in the spear he wisely counselling harangued them and spoke my friends consider well on both sides for i advise that we now return to the city nor await the sacred morn in the plain near the ships for we are far away from the wall as long indeed as this man was wroth with noble agamemnon so long were the greeks more easy to fight with for even i was delighted passing the night by with the swift barks expecting that we should take the equally plied barks but now greatly do i fear swift-footed pelides so violent is his soul nor will he be content to remain in the plain where usually the trojans and greeks in the intervening space divide the force of war but he will combat for the city and our wives we will go then towards the city be persuaded by me for so it must be ambrosial night at present hath made swift-footed pelides cease but if rushing forth to-morrow with his arms he shall find us here then will some one know him for gladly will he reach sacred ilium whosoever shall escape but dogs and vultures will devour many of the trojans oh that such tidings may be far from our ears but if we be obedient to my words although sad we shall have protection in the assembly during the night and the towers and lofty gates and the valves fitted to them long well polished fashioned together will protect the city but to-morrow at early dawn we will stand on the towers arrayed in armour and it would be difficult for him even if he should wish it coming from the ships to fight with us around the wall back again will he go to the ships after he has satiated his high-necked steed with a varied course driving beneath the city but his mind will not permit him to rush within nor will he ever lay it waste sooner shall the fleet dogs devour him him then crest-tossing hector sternly regarding addressed no longer o polydamus dost thou speak these things agreeable to me thou who advisest us returning to be cooped up in the city are ye not yet satiated with being shut up within the towers formerly indeed all articulately speaking men pronounce the city of priam rich in gold and in brass but now have the rich treasures of our houses perished and many possessions have already departed to phrygia and agreeable moeonia to be sold since mighty jove was enraged but at this crisis when the son of politic saturn has granted me to obtain glory at the ships and to hem in the greeks by the sea no longer foolish man disclose these counsels to the people for none of the trojans will obey nor will i permit them but come let us all obey as i shall advise at present take supper into your ranks throughout the army be mindful of the watch and keep guard each of you but whosoever of the trojans is particularly anxious about his possessions collecting them together let him give to the people to be publicly consumed it is better that any of them should enjoy them than the greeks but to-morrow with the dawn arrayed in armour let us excite sharp conflict at the hollow ships and if truly noble achilles has arisen at the ships it will be the worse for him if he wishes to fight i indeed will not fly him from the horrid sounding battle but will stand very obstinately against him whether he bear away great glory or i bear it away mars is common and even slays the slayer thus hector harangued and the trojans shouted in applause foolish men for pallas minerva had taken away their senses from them for they assented to hector advising destructive things whilst no one assented to polydamus who advised prudent counsel then they took supper through the army but the greeks lamenting all night wept over patroclus 
but among them pelides led a ceaseless lamentation placing his manslaying hands upon the breast of his companion very frequently sighing as the well-bearded lion from whom the stag hunter has stolen the cubs out of the thick forest and he is grieved coming afterwards and through many valleys he goes tracking the footsteps of the man if anywhere he may find him for very keen rage possesses him so deeply sighing he addressed the myrmidons alas vain indeed was the promise i uttered on that day encouraging the hero menoetius in our halls for i said that i would bring back his illustrious son to opus having wasted troy and obtained a share of the spoil but if jove fulfils not for men all their intentions for it is fated that we shall both stain with blood the same earth here in troy but neither shall aged horse-driving peleus receive me in his palaces returning nor my mother thetis but the earth shall here hold me now however o patroclus since after thee i go beneath the earth i shall not perform thy funeral rites before that i bring hither the arms and head of magnanimous hector thy murderer and behead twelve illustrious sons of the trojans before thy pile enraged on account of thee slain meanwhile thou shalt lie thus at the crooked ships and round thee trojan dames and deep-bosomed dardanians shall weep and shed tears night and day whom we ourselves have toiled to get by our valour and the long spear laying waste the rich cities of articulate speaking men thus having spoken noble achilles ordered his companions to surround a large tripod with fire that as soon as possible they might wash away the bloody gore from patroclus they then placed a bathing tripod on the blazing fire and poured water into it and taking faggots lighted them under it the fire indeed encircled the belly of the tripod and the water was warmed but when the water boiled in the sonorous brass then they both washed him and anointed him with rich oil and they filled up his wounds with ointment nine years old and laying him upon a bed they covered him with fine linen from head to foot and over all with a white mantle all night then the myrmidons lamenting patroclus wept around swift-footed achilles but jove addressed juno his sister and wife and at length thou hast accomplished thy object o large-eyed venerable juno having aroused swift-fooled achilles surely the waving-crested greeks are born from thy very self but him large-eyed venerable juno then answered most imperious son of saturn what a word hast thou spoken surely now any man who is mortal and knows not so many designs might accomplish this against a man how therefore ought not i who boast myself to be the chief of the goddesses both from birth and also because i am called thy wife and thou rulest over all the immortals being enraged with the trojans to be able to design evils against them thus they indeed conversed with one another but silver-footed thetis reached the abode of vulcan incorruptible starry remarkable amongst the immortals brazen which the lame-footed himself had constructed him she found sweating exerting himself at the bellows earnestly working for he was making full twenty tripods to stand around the wall of his well-built palace under the base of each he placed golden wheels that of their own accord they might enter the heavenly council and again return home a wonder to be seen so much finished had they but he had not yet added the well-made handles which he was preparing and he was forging the rivets whilst he was toiling at these things with skilful mind meanwhile thetis the silver-footed goddess came to him but the beautiful and fair-veiled cheris whom illustrious vulcan had espoused advancing beheld her and hung upon her hand and addressed her and spoke why o long-robed thetis venerable beloved dost thou visit our abode formerly thou wast not in the habit of coming frequently but follow farther onwards that i may set before thee hospitable fare 
thus having spoken the divine goddesses led on then indeed she placed her upon a silver-studded throne beautiful variously wrought and there was a stool under her feet but she called vulcan the distinguished artist and spoke this word come hither vulcan thetis now has need of thee but her illustrious vulcan then answered assuredly then an awful and revered goddess is within who saved me when distress came upon me fallen down far by the contrivance of my shameless mother who wished to conceal me being lame then should i have suffered sorrows in my mind had not eurynome and thetis received me in their bosoms eurynome daughter of the refluent ocean with them for nine years wrought i in brass many ingenious works of art buckles twisted bracelets and clasp tubes in the hollow cave whilst round us flowed the immense stream of ocean murmuring with foam nor did any other either of gods or mortal men know it but thetis and eurynome who preserved me knew it she now comes to my house wherefore there is need that i should repay all the rewards of my safety to fair-haired thetis but set now before her good hospitable fare whilst i lay aside my bellows and all my tools he spoke and rose a wondrous bulk from his anvil block limping and his weak legs moved actively beneath him the bellows he laid apart from the fire and all the tools with which he laboured he collected into a silver chest with a sponge he wiped all over his face and both his hands his strong neck and shaggy breast then put on his tunic and seized his stout sceptre but he went out of the doors limping and golden handmaids like unto living maidens moved briskly about the king and in their bosoms was prudence with understanding and within them was voice and strength and they are instructed in works by the immortal gods these were busily occupied by the king's side but he hobbling along sat down upon a splendid throne near where thetis was and hung upon her hand and spoke and addressed her why long-robed thetis venerable and dear hast thou come to our abode for indeed thou didst not often come before make known what thou desirest for my mind orders me to perform it if in truth i can perform it and if it is to be performed him then thetis pouring forth tears answered o vulcan has any then as many as are the goddesses in olympus endured so many bitter griefs in her mind as to me above all jove the son of saturn has given sorrows me from among the other marine inhabitants has he subjected to a man to peleus son of Achaeus, and i have endured the couch of a man very much against my will he indeed now lies in his palaces afflicted with grievous old age but now other woes are my lot after he had granted me to bring forth and nurture a son distinguished among heroes and who grew up like a plant him having reared as a plant in a fertile spot of the field i sent forth in the crooked barks to ilium to fight with the trojans but him i shall not receive again having returned home to the mansion of peleus as long however as he lives to me and beholds the light of the sun he suffers sorrow nor am i going to him able to avail him aught the maid whom the sons of the greeks selected as a reward for him her hath king agamemnon taken back again from his hands certainly grieving for her he has been wasting his soul whilst the trojans were hemming in the greeks at the ships nor suffered them to go beyond the gates but the elders of the greeks supplicated him and named many distinguished presents but then he refused to avert destruction yet he clad patroclus in his own armour and sent him forth to the battle and he gave with him much people 
all day they fought round the scaean gates and certainly on that day had overturned troy had not apollo slain among the foremost warriors the gallant son of menoetius after having done much mischief and given glory to hector on this account do i now approach thy knees if thou wilt give to my short-lived son a shield and helmet and beautiful greaves joined with clasps and a corslet for what were his his faithful companion has lost subdued by the trojans and achilles lies upon the ground grieving in his soul her then illustrious vulcan answered take courage nor let these things be cause of uneasiness in thy mind for would that i could so surely conceal him from dread-sounding death when grievous fate approaches him as that beautiful armour shall be ready for him such as any one of many men shall hereafter admire whosoever may behold it so saying he left her there and went towards the bellows which he turned towards the fire and commanded them to work and full twenty bellows blew in the furnaces exciting a varied well-regulated blast to be ready for him at one time busy at another the reverse as vulcan pleased and that the work might be complete he cast into the fire impenetrable brass and tin precious gold and silver but next he placed a mighty anvil on the stock and took in one hand his strong hammer and with the other grasped the forceps first of all he formed a shield both large and solid decorating it all over and around it he threw a shining border triple and glittering and from it there hung a silver belt of the shield itself there were five folds but on it he formed many curious works with cunning skill on it he wrought the earth and the heaven and the sea the unwearied sun and the full moon on it also he represented all the constellations with which the heaven is crowned the pleiades the hyades and the strength of orion and the bear which they also called the appellation of the wain which there revolves and watches orion but it alone is free from the baths of the ocean in it likewise he wrought two fair cities of articulate speaking men in the one indeed there were marriages and feasts and they were conducting the brides from their chambers through the city with brilliant torches and many a bridal song was raised the youthful dancers were wheeling round and amongst them pipes and lyres uttered a sound and the women standing each at her portals admired and people were crowded together in an assembly and there a contest had arisen for two men contended for the ransom money of a slain man the one affirmed that he had paid all appealing to the people but the other denied averring that he had received not and both wished to find an end of the dispute before a judge the people were applauding both supporters of either party and the heralds were keeping back the people but the elders sat upon polished stones in a sacred circle and the pleaders held in their hands the staves of the clear-voiced heralds with these then they arose and alternately pleaded their cause moreover in the midst lay two talents of gold to give to him who should best establish his claim among them but round the other city sat two armies of people glittering in arms and one of two plans was agreeable to them either to waste it or to divide all things into two parts the wealth whatever the pleasant city contained within it they however had not yet complied but were secretly arming themselves for an ambuscade meanwhile their beloved wives and young children kept watch standing above and amongst them the men whom old age possessed but the younger men advanced but mars was their leader and pallas minerva both golden and clad in golden dresses beautiful and large along with their armour radiant all around and indeed like gods but the people were of humbler size but when they now had reached a place where it appeared fit to lay an ambuscade by a river where there was a watering place for all sorts of cattle there then they settled clad in shining steel 
There, apart from the people, sat two spies, watching when they might perceive the sheep and crooked-horned oxen. These, however, soon advanced, and two shepherds accompanied them, amusing themselves with their pipes, for they had not yet perceived the stratagem. Then they, discerning them, ran in upon them, and immediately slaughtered on all sides the herds of oxen and the beautiful flocks of snow-white sheep, and slew the shepherds besides. But they, when they heard the great tumult amongst the oxen, previously sitting in front of the assembly, mounting their nimble-footed steeds, pursued, and soon came up with them. Then, having marshalled themselves, they fought a battle on the banks of the river, and wounded one another with their brazen spears. Amongst them mingled discord and tumult, and destructive fate holding one alive, recently wounded, another unwounded. But a third slain, she drew by the feet through the battle, and had the garment around her shoulders crimsoned with the gore of men. But they turned about like living mortals, and fought, and drew away the slaughtered bodies of each other. On it he also placed a soft fallow field, rich glebe, wide, thrice ploughed, and in it many ploughmen drove hither and thither, turning round their teams. But when returning they reached the end of the field, then a man advancing gave into their hands a cup of very sweet wine. But they turned themselves in series, eager to reach the other end of the deep fallow. But it was all black behind, similar to ploughed land, which indeed was a marvel beyond all others. On it likewise he placed a field of deep corn, where reapers were cutting, having sharp sickles in their hands. Some handfuls fell one after the other upon the ground along the furrow, and the binders of sheaves tied others with bands. Three binders followed the reapers, whilst behind them boys gathering the handfuls, and bearing them in their arms, continually supplied them, and amongst them the master stood by the swathed in silence, holding a sceptre delighted in heart. But apart, beneath an oak, Servants were preparing a banquet, and sacrificing a huge ox they ministered, whilst women sprinkled much white barley on the meat as a supper for the reapers. On it likewise he placed a vineyard, heavily laden with grapes, beautiful, golden, but the clusters throughout were black, and it was supported throughout by silver poles. Round it he drew an azure trench, and about it a hedge of tin, but there was only one path to it, by which the gatherers went when they collected the vintage. Young virgins and youths of tender minds bore the luscious fruit in woven baskets, in the midst of whom a boy played sweetly on a shrill harp, and with tender voice sang gracefully to the chord, whilst they, beating the ground in unison with dancing and shouts, followed, skipping with their feet. In it he also wrought a herd of oxen with horns erect, but the kine were made of gold and of tin, and rushed out with a lowing from the stall to the pasture, beside a murmuring stream along the breeze-waving reeds. Four golden herdsmen accompanied the oxen, and nine dogs swift afoot followed. But two terrible lions detained the bull, roaring among the foremost oxen, and he was dragged away, loudly bellowing, and the dogs and youths followed for a rescue. They indeed, having torn off the skin of the great ox, lapped up his entrails and black blood, and the shepherds vainly pressed upon them, urging on their fleet dogs. These, however, refused to bite the lions, but standing very near, barked and shunned them. On it illustrious Vulcan also formed a pasture in a beautiful grove full of white sheep and folds, and covered huts and cottages. Illustrious Vulcan likewise adorned it with a dance, like unto that which in wide Gnosis Daedalus contrived for fair-haired Ariadne. There danced youths and alluring virgins, holding each other's hands at the wrist, these wore fine linen robes, but those were dressed in well-woven tunics, shining as with oil. These also had beautiful garlands, and those wore golden swords hanging from silver belts. 
Sometimes with skilful feet they nimbly bounded round, as when a potter sitting shall make trial of a wheel fitted to his hands, whether it will run, and at other times again they ran back to their places through one another. But a great crowd surrounded the pleasing dance, amusing themselves, and amongst them two tumblers, beginning their song, spun round through the midst. But in it he also formed the vast strength of the river Oceanus, near the last border of the well-formed shield. But when he had finished the shield, large and solid, he next formed for him a corslet, brighter than a splendor of fire. He also made for him a strong helmet, fitted to his temples, beautiful and variously ornamented, and on it placed a golden crest, and made greaves for him of ductile tin. But when renowned Vulcan had with toil made all the armor, lifting it up, he laid it before the mother of Achilles. But she, like a hawk, darted down from snowy Olympus, bearing from Vulcan the shining armor. End of Book the Eighteenth, read by Stephen Carney. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.